0: Some of you might remember me sharing that um, last week that Stephanie McLean was getting married this past week, and um, we had all hoped to attend as staff, because we all love Stephanie, uh, but only a couple of us were able to, to end up going because of COVID and sickness. In any case, we asked Pastor Zach to come bring God's Word to us this morning because we were all going to be going, and um, it's a special treat to get to hear him he's a special guy, but also because he's my brother-in-law. Yeah. So we welcome, would you welcome Pastor Zach? Thank, hey, you. thank you, thank you, thank you. It is a real pleasure to be here today, and um, I just want to confess this right at the beginning. It's one of those mornings where I feel a bit more like a jar of clay than usual. Uh, we've had some cold and that running through our house, and so I appreciate your prayers for me as I... Bring the word uh, that the Lord will, if not make it clear from my lips, uh, make it clear going into your ears. Uh, that's the real goal anyway. So say I wonder if I could just start off by sharing a pet peeve that I have. It feels a little strange doing this right after our country's national holiday of giving thanks and, and sharing gratitude for all the things, uh, the ways that we're blessed. But it also feels really right on the nose when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and a theme that arises here. So uh, just one quick caveat before I get to the pet peeve. Pet peeves usually uh, put, so the person who's sharing the pet peeve on a pedestal to say, others are not meeting my expectations or my desires. Uh, I just want you to know that as I share this with you, I am definitely not the hero of this story uh, when it comes to my pet peeve and you'll see why. Here's my pet peeve. Uh, oftentimes when we go to like Christian leadership co- uh, conferences or we read uh, books from uh, Christian leaders, see videos and that, uh, when they're introduced, they're introduced with a long line of credentials. Right? This is Reverend Dr. So-and-so, and they've written this book and that book, and it's sold 250,000 copies, and they have 400,000 followers on social media. And that really gets under my skin. I get it. I get why we use credentials, why we think in those terms, but I also think, well, this is the church. Doesn't every preacher really just borrow from the same material? Why is it that we need to, to use these human standards really to validate somebody's message or their ministry? Now there's a positive side to it. I don't want to take that away. You know, when we think about those who have titles, um, it shows that they've really dedicated time and energy, and uh, their life to studying more about God's Word. That's a beautiful thing. When you hear about the size of people's churches and, and the number of followers that they have and the number of books that they've sold, that speaks about impact, doesn't it? Those are those are real people whose lives have been impacted by the message of Jesus Christ. Those are real positives. But just once, I would love to see a big conference have a a section uh, or a lecture given by just our regular old pastor. And his or her credentials would just be, this pastor has served faithfully in ministry day in and day out with little thanks for 25 years. And so listen to what she has to say. Perk up your ears to hear his message. So let me tell you what the Lord did with this pet peeve of mine. (laughs) He brought it to the surface right at the beginning of the pandemic. You like we at East Leonard when I was pastoring there, we had to do this. We we made the switch to virtual worship. So we were filming uh, sermon videos on iPhones and posting them to YouTube and and you know, the thing about YouTube, it's a great platform, but they tell you on the back end how many people watch your videos, and for how long they watch your videos, and how long it took before they clicked to go somewhere else. You know, and so I'm looking at these, and I love numbers, I love add all that, but I didn't love these numbers, because what I was seeing is, you know, one week it would be like 65 people tuned in to East Leonard's YouTube video. Then the next week it was like 45. And boy, by June, and we were down in like the 20s. Those numbers really hurt. And that's where the Lord surfaced for me and then brought to my attention this pet peeve again and, and realized that, that really was behind my pet peeve and is behind my pet peeve is that I use human standards to validate my ministry. Numbers aren't the problem. But expecting numbers to tell me that God is pleased with what I'm doing or with what the church is doing, that's the problem. This human standard will never, ever accomplish God's purposes. And when I rely on it, I get myself into trouble. Okay, so here's the connection point. In Corinth, the Christians there were using human standards to validate ministry and the message of important leaders, of apostles. They were using human standards to say whether Paul or Peter or Apollos really had the true and good message that we ought to uh, hold on to. And it got them into loads of trouble. Because here's what happened. Those who felt that their group was the best puffed themselves up And in order to be puffed up, they had to steal the wind from other people's sails. So that what they ended up doing was disparaging each other, speaking poorly about each other, thinking that they were better than other people. And this was happening inside the church. Can you believe that? Yes, we can believe that because it happens. Now, you've already heard about these factions, I'm sure, as you've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians But what I want to talk to you about today and show you today from God's word is that when we use those human standards to validate ourselves or others or ministries, it just gets us into a heap of trouble. And Paul does three very helpful things for the Corinthians in this passage, but also for us. And so we're going to take a look at them. One of the things that he does is he reminds them of what the church is here for, what our purpose is. And we'll see that in verses 1 to 7-ish. He's also going to remind the Corinthians of who they really are, particularly who they were before Christ. That's also in those first eight verses. But the one I think that's going to, um, I think it might be the most interesting for us, but we'll leave that up to the Lord, is in the remaining verses of this passage, what he's going to do is he's going to remind them of what it really means to follow Jesus. They had misplaced uh, their perspective. They had had seen their role in Jesus' ministry in an unhelpful way. So we're going to take a look at that. But before we do, we're going to pray just for a moment, and then we'll uh, open with God's word, and we'll get right into it. Let's pray. God, this is your word. And we know, uh, Lord, that your word is power. We also know from this book that you have uh, revealed and given uh, that this is a message that is foolishness to those who consider themselves wise in the eyes of this world. And so, Lord, uh, we pray that as we as we listen to your word, that you would give us the ability to grab onto your wisdom despite it meaning us being fools in the eyes of the world. We pray that you open our ears to hear what you have to say. We also pray that you would, uh, Spirit, be active and moving, to open our lives before your word, to do your work of transformation, of change, of conviction where necessary, of healing where necessary. But Lord, we submit ourselves to you, and we do it all because of Jesus. Amen. I'd like to read uh, the first eight verses here. The verse first seven verses. We'll start there. Chapter four, first Corinthians. Paul says, This then is how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust, they must prove faithful. So I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Right, in these first uh, seven verses of this chapter, uh, Paul gets at two of the big problems that we're facing, these puffed-up Corinthians. And the first one that I want to uh, address with you is this idea that the Corinthians forgot what they're there for. They forgot what their mission is. And because they weren't clear on what they were doing there together, their eyes began to turn toward each other. And because they were puffed up, they started to judge each other against themselves and against one another. And so they used these human standards to say, uh, you know, we've got it more clear than they do. Or or they just, they don't understand as well as what we do. There's factions backbiting. They were belittling one another. They were passing judgment on each other. So, I mentioned that I uh, was pastor at East Leonard Christian Reformed Church, but uh, that ended in January and now I work for our denomination in the Office of Pastor Church Resources. Uh, And in my role as a ministry consultant, one of the things that uh, I have the privilege of doing is coming into a church where there's some kind of conflict between pastor and council or council and congregation or just something within the congregation. And we get to come in as pastors with a a third-party perspective just to hold up a mirror and say, here's what we're observing in the way that you're speaking with one another and that kind of thing. So I'll tell you that one of the things that we often notice in churches that are in conflict, this isn't everything and it's not the sole reason, one of the things we often notice missing is vision. They don't have a sense of what they're there for. They know how to do what they've been doing, but they don't have a vision for what the Lord is calling them to do. Something like that is happening here in Corinth. They've lost sight of of who they are and and what they're doing. But Paul reminds them of what they're all about. In verse 2, he says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. And he tells us that that trust is the mystery of that gospel that God has revealed in verse 1. You see, what they had done is they had lost sight of the fact that they are there as heralds of the gospel. They are there to embody the good news of the kingdom. They are there as representatives of Jesus. And because they've lost sight of that, they get into all sorts of trouble backbiting and arguing with one another, choosing sides and and dividing up into teams. But what Paul says is, none of the things that we measure uh, as human greatness or success or or even what makes this a, a really great place, none of that matters. The only thing that matters is our commitment and faithfulness to the gospel. Amen? The gospel is what we are here for. He goes into this few lines that I think are really helpful, uh, just a little bit cheeky too. As he goes on, he says in verse 3, I don't really care what you think of me. I don't really care what human courts think of me. He says, you know, as I'm committing and staying faithful to the gospel, even if I've got a clear conscience, Even that doesn't make me innocent before God because my feelings and how I see myself, they aren't the thing that matters. What really matters is commitment to the gospel. That's what God is going to judge when he comes back. Have we been committed? Have we been focused? Have we submitted ourselves to the good news of the kingdom through Jesus? This is what matters. This is what we're going to be judged on. Now, there's a lot of uh, language in here about judgment. And when God comes, he's going to expose the motives of the heart. He's going to bring that into light from the darkness. And so as we hear all this language, uh, judicial language, uh, language you'd hear like in a courtroom, Paul says at the end of verse 5, he says, he'll bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each person will receive I'll just tell you, with this language of judgment, exposing, bring out of the darkness into light, I would fully expect Paul to say, at that time the Lord is going to bring to each the punishment that they deserve. That's the language we usually think thinking, but look what God says. He's going to bring the praise. What he's telling the Corinthians is he says, if your heart and your mind and your strength is focused on being faithful to the gospel. In other words, if you're building on the foundation of Jesus Christ that he's already laid, then these works that you're doing, whether they're perfect or not, or whether they're the way that you would do them or not, or whether one of these leaders speaks more eloquently or has more charisma than the others, it doesn't matter because God is going to praise all who commit themselves to Jesus Christ. On that day, he's going to come back and and all the places where we feel like we've failed, like we haven't done enough, where we haven't built enough or built with the right kind of materials, where we haven't gone the extra mile like we thought we should, all those ways that we today feel inadequate in the gospel, he's going to come back and say, thank you. Thank you for the work that you did. It was so wonderful that you were willing to give your time, energy, compassion, and love for my kingdom. God is going to praise us. That's a beautiful thought. Beautiful. They forgot what they were there for. They were there to be faithful to the gospel. The other thing that they forgot is they forgot where they came from and who they are. As we move into uh, verses 6 and on, the Apostle Paul there, he reminds them, that everything that they are and everything that they have, it's a gift. God is the one who reveals, He's the ones who give. And so He calls them to remember, whether it's Paul or Apollos or Peter or whether it's any other Christian leader or any other Christian, all of the gifts, all of the teaching, all of the wisdom, all the experience that we have with Christ, that's all given. Us. He's leveling the playing field here. He's saying, You didn't make it. You didn't invent it. It doesn't belong to you. It's not your property. It's on loan from God. Remember that. Remember that because what he's saying is, In the church, we are all on the same playing field. That's true. We have elders and deacons and pastors who've been given delegated spiritual authority for the sake of the church and as a gift to the church. But before Christ, every one of us of any age has all received the gospel from Jesus. We all receive gifts from his spirit. And he gives us the different gifts based on how he wants us to serve within his kingdom and how he wants to use us. Amen? We're all equals in Christ. This is such an important, such an important message because uh, we really get the sense here that when we divide ourselves up or, or elevate ourselves above uh, above other people, in the church particularly, it is such a violation of the gospel. Because of any place in the world where people ought to be able to come and stand on equal footing before the Lord, it ought to be in the church. It ought to be in the place where sinners who have been saved by grace stand before the God of redemption and love to be fully and wholly loved and free. There's one of the places I suppose where you should be able to feel free to go and be accepted as you are, and that's your family. They kind of have to love you because that's what family's there for. But the church is where we get to do that together for the gospel, for the reason that we are here together. What makes this whole violation, I think, too, in Corinth is this is all happening within the church where they're exalting themselves, but remember from the earlier chapters of uh, Corinthians where the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who are outside of the church. So you know what happens with all those who are puffed up as soon as they walk out of the congregation? They're the fools of the earth in the eyes of the world. And they forgot that. Back in 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says to them, Brothers and sisters, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things That are not. To nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. You see, what God is calling this church to do and what he's calling us to do is to remember who we were before Christ. And to remember who we are in Christ. Before Christ, we were dead in sins and trespasses. We lived according to the ways of this world and we were uh, tormented, tyrannized by the prince of this world. But in Jesus Christ, we have all been set free. In Jesus Christ, we all have redemption. In Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters who stand before him, our Father. Okay, there's one last way that Paul addresses this arrogance within the church in Corinth. And it's in the remaining verses of this chapter. So I'm going to begin reading again, uh, this time at verse 8. He says to these puffed-up Corinthians, Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but, but you're strong. You are honored, but, but we're dishonored. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of this world right up to this moment. So I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me for this reason I have sent you to Timothy, my son whom I love, who's faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with everything I teach everywhere in the church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing. And then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? In these last verses, the second half of the chapter, the way that Paul addresses the arrogance is by reminding the Corinthians about what it means really to be a disciple of Jesus. What it really requires to follow him. And they'd lost sight of this. And I believe some of it is cultural. So the Corinthians were in Corinth, and Corinth was a hub of Greco-Roman religion. And in these religions, the conversion experience was a big deal. When somebody was converted, it was a ceremonious thing. When they took on a, a new religion, it, it was as if they they describe it this way, as if they feel that they've been liberated that they've been given all the riches, and that they right now reign as king. And one of the natural results of this is that they begin to look down on others who haven't been converted, as that they have had some kind of enlightenment that not everybody else has. There are a number of false teachers in Corinth as well, philosophers who taught that that when we when we fully have attained wholeness and fullness as human beings. We are as rich as we need to be, and we also reign as kings over our domain. We don't need anybody because we are self sufficient. So some of this is all feeding into this idea that the Corinthians were having here that they were already full. They had everything they need, Paul said. By the way he's he's being very sarcastic in these verses. He's saying, you're full, you have everything you need. You're reigning already as kings. He's saying it tongue-in-cheek because, really, would the Corinthians be reigning as kings already if the apostles are still being led around like those who are are marked off for the Colosseum for the slaughter? Would Would the apostles still be suffering in such a way if God's kingdom had fully come, if Jesus was really reigning? Would it be the apostles who are still left out of all of that celebration? while they, the Corinthians, somehow attained this glory of Christ before them. What he's saying is no. No. You're acting as if the kingdom of God has already come, and you're forgetting what it means to follow Jesus. Let me put it just another way more simpler way. They wanted to live in the power and glory that Christ brings without experiencing the suffering or the difficulty that following Christ brings. They wanted to reign with Christ without suffering for Christ. They wanted to be seen as powerful and rich without any of the weakness that Christ displayed. So this is where the Apostle Paul reminds them of just how important and normal suffering is in the life of a Christian but also how powerful weakness is. In other places, we'll go to a couple passages here in Corinthians, but what he's saying is that if we're truly following Jesus and we have an understanding of what we're doing, that we're faithful to the gospel, if we remember that we are sinners who are redeemed from sin and brought from death into life, and we're truly following Jesus Christ, we will endure hardship. It will be difficult. There's suffering involved. But it's in this weakness that we display where God shows his power. That verse at the end, verse 20, the kingdom of God is not about talk, but it's about power. What he's saying is it's not about the image that we project. It's not about us setting ourselves up as those who who truly are enlightened. It's not about making ourselves look as kingly and as as full as we can. It's about displaying the weakness of Jesus wherever we can. Because what Paul says is is that when when I live as a jar of clay, when I, when I show that that I'm weak and that I can't do it on my own, when I come to the end of all the things that I can do. That's where people begin to see that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from me. When we live with weakness, it's there that the Lord speaks to us and says that His grace is sufficient enough for us because His power is made perfect in our weakness. Because the kingdom is not about you and me, and it's not about the human standards or values that we may have. The kingdom is about the gospel. It's about a God who redeems people who were slated for death, who deserve death. It's about a God who set slaves and captives free. The gospel is about an already and not yet kingdom. A kingdom where one day we will all be reigning together with Jesus Christ in glory forever and ever. And there will be no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness. But that day not yet. And so right now what that means for us is that we live in weakness so that we can display the power of Jesus Christ. I'm kind of glad that my max was 68 views on YouTube. Because what that reminds me is that the work that I do as a pastor, the work that we do as Christians, is not to be great in the eyes of this world it's not to have the most followers or have the most book deals or to sell the most copies it's about being faithful to the gospel faithful to Jesus Christ every single day this is how we know we're successful this is what god will praise us for when he comes back so in those times when i and when you may be tempted to stand a little taller puff up our chest a little bigger because of the great things that we've done. We need to remember what we're here for, to be faithful to the gospel. We need to remember where we started and who we are. We started as those who are far from God, but brought into his kingdom, adopted into his family, and have been given all that we have. And then we also have to remember that following Jesus means embracing weakness because what's weak in the eyes of this world is exactly the place where God's power comes. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for adopting us into your family. We thank you that we belong to you through Jesus Christ, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, in those times when we discover our own limitations, our own weakness, because it's a place where we get to see your power. And so I pray, Father, for this congregation, for uh, its pastors, for its leaders, for its members, Lord, that you would give them a clear memory of who they were before you and a clear joy of knowing who they are now in you. Lord, I pray that you would fix their desire firmly on being faithful stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That at the beginning and the end of their days and of all their ministries and programs and vision, Lord, that it would be your kingdom, it would be your truth, your word, your power. And Father, I pray in those times when they feel weak and when they experience weakness, Lord, that you would turn their eyes to you And that you would answer with your power, that you would answer, uh, Holy Spirit, with your movement, with your activity. God, I pray for this congregation and its pastors. And I pray, Lord, that you will continue to do great gospel things through them in this city. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.